It is great to be here with you all. We are beginning a brand new series this week, and we're going to be studying Jonah. My favorite sermon series by far is when we just do like exegetical studies out of a book. That really is true. I prefer to get into a book of the Bible and just go through it week over weekend out, right? Just walk through it, walk through the word, study, history, context, original language. I love that stuff. The nerd in me gets to come alive, and I really prefer that. And so I'm very excited to get into the book of Jonah. And Jonah is a really unique book. But before we get into this, I want to just make a call to you um, in this room and those that are watching online. We have, um, we are in this really, really crazy season, oh my goodness, where it is the economic impact. I mean, we have the racial tension. We have global stuff. I mean, the impact of this even with starvation. Lord Jesus, I, I, even now as I say this out loud to you, I think of it in my spirit. God, please save us. Um, even around the world, they're talking about the, the, the plague, not just only the plague, but even the starvation that's going to go around the world because of the economic breakdown. And we just need to be praying. And so we have the team, we already mentioned this, I want to say it again. The team has put together a, a prayer podcast. And you can join it. Just go to the website, EncounterTrinity.com, or go to any of our social media section or pages. Uh, man, it doesn't matter. Facebook, you'll find it there. Click on it. Subscribe to it. The prayer podcast, it's awesome. We want to be a people of prayer praying together. The other thing that we're doing is uh, a number of months ago, we just kind of called people to pray every night at eight o'clock, just kind of hit pause, and we want to mobilize an army, thousand people, right, or more, just to stop and pray. Go before the Lord and pray for our country. Man, go before the Lord and pray for our world. Go before the Lord and pray for peace, racial reconciliation. Pray that God would be with his people and even the world in a greater way. And so we want to ask you to sign up for the prayer podcast and also stop at 8 o'clock, put it on your calendar. I've got it on my phone. When my phone goes off, I just pause and I want to pray with the rest of the church body. I'd love it if you would join me with those things or in those things. Um, I love this. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and... Yeah, you guys know this, and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. And what we find over and over and over and over again in the story of God's people, in the story of God's people, by the way, we are all people from God, right? Some of us are in rebellion and running away, but man, Jesus Christ, we are all from people of God, and we are all through Christ um, Christ's redemptive work, if we choose to accept it in our hearts, we all can make our way to heaven. We are from God and through the work of Christ. If we so accept it, we make our way back to heaven. And in that exception process, all through the stories, the narratives of the Bible, there is one really important, necessary ingredient, humility. If my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves and pray. Posture of the heart matters a ton. And so what we want to do is we want to be a people of God that are humble. We are teachable. And this is even going to lead into the series that we're jumping into today in the book of Jonah. And, and whenever I do an opening, especially when we're doing an exegetical study out of a book, um, my first sermon ends up being a little bit nerdy on purpose because I want to have good, healthy context we want to ask the right study questions, historical, contextual, grammatical, as we go through it. So we want to start with some of the historical pieces of, of this. And, and many of you know the story of Jonah from Sunday school, which is awesome. 
But there is so much more in the book of Jonah than just being eaten by a big fish and spit out, right? There's more to it than that. My kids love the story of Jonah. Right now, my four-year-old, um, she wants to, me to tell that story in her little devotional book over and over and over again. I've read it. And she loves the, the fish eats the person and spits it out. So she knows of Jonah, fish eats person, spits out. But the book of Jonah is so much more than that. In fact, I would say that the greater story of Jonah really isn't about the fish at all. There's something much bigger taking place. And so we want to start today with a broad picture of Jonah before we get into the guts of it in detail. I'm going to go through four different things really quick, kind of looking at the greater story. The first one is this. The book of Jonah, the book of Jonah will touch on things like bitterness, racism, forgiveness, and the relentless mercy of God. Now, the amazing thing is, I didn't know that all of this stuff was going to happen whenever I put the preaching schedule together for this year. I mean, multiple times I've just sat back and gone, man, only God, only you could have timed this. Only you could have timed it. The second thing that we see in the book of Jonah, kind of the big picture preparing you for it is, in Jonah, we see... A follower of God, okay, this is really important that you understand this, a follower of God, a spiritual leader, right, come face to face with the reality that he may identify with the right spiritual team, but the posture of his heart is on the wrong side. Let that settle in. You have a spiritual leader. Right? You have a spiritual leader, and he comes face to face with the reality that he identifies with the right team. He's wearing the right Jesus t-shirt, right? Of course, it would have been you know, Jehovah, God. You know, back then, I mean, Jesus is our moderator, but he's on the right spiritual team. But his heart is on the wrong side. The next thing that we'll learn as we go through this is uh, we will see a man condemn the evil in another. They're wrong. They're bad. They can't do. They shouldn't. My goodness, watch the news. Back and forth. Relentless, continual condemnation of the evil in another person. We will see a man condemn the evil in another and use that scene. They see the evil, use that perspective to justify the evil response in their own heart. So what we're going to see is we'll see a man condemn the evil in another and use that, what they see, to justify the evil response of their own heart. They use it to justify it. That's going to be in the book of Jonah. My goodness, man. As I was looking through my notes, by the way, I started pinning these notes before the coronavirus even hit. I start working on my sermons, as you all know, about a year in advance, I start writing down big ideas. And I was pulling my notes back up, and I'm like, oh my goodness, God, only you could have timed this. So you need to know what I'm putting up here is not a response to what's happening today. What I'm putting up here is my obedience to God before this even happened. That's big. And it makes me feel like God is really in this. The next thing that we'll notice as we go through this is this is a unique prophetic book because it deals more with the prophet than his prophetic word. And most of the prophecy books of the Old Testament, for those that have been to seminary, you're going to know this, most of the prophecy books deal with the word of God. The whole book is kind of about the message from God to the people. Jonah is unique because Jonah is primarily about the prophet himself, not so much about his word. 
but the journey of the prophet. All right. Before we uh, read our text for today, I want to... uh, introduce you to two gentlemen. Uh, Now, if you go to church in the Western world, um, you are going to be heavily influenced by these two men, whether you know it or not. And so, like, the two kind of prime branches of the Protestant form of Christianity that most of you have grown up in come at least through the vein of these two men, okay? And um, so, if you grew up on the Calvinist side of one of these guys, I mean, that's like Southern Baptist, just go down the line, and all the different denominations that fit into that. Or if you grew up on the Arminian side of it, you know, so you grew up Nazarene, you grew up Wesleyan, you grew up Methodist, you're going to have been heavily influenced. But these two guys have massively influenced how we know church today in the West. So I'm going to introduce you to them. So here's the first handsome fellow. Look at this guy. Uh, This is uh, John Wesley. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) We got a whistle. I don't know how that works. Uh, that's a, it's out of honor, Mr. Wesley. It's out of honor. Uh, but John Wesley, John Wesley, man. So Wesley is an amazing guy. Um, you've studied him. I mean, my goodness, if you grew up Nazarene, if you grew up Methodist, if you grew up in the Wesleyan Church, any of those movements, you have been heavily influenced by this guy's work. The next guy I want to introduce you to right here, another handsome fellow, pow. Look at that guy right there. Um, can we please bring this hairstyle back? Like, this is pretty awesome. Like, how do you even get the, like, it, I mean, Is it like sideburns that grow out that big or is it from the top down and they curl it? I'm not sure, but I'm impressed. I am impressed. Uh, So this guy right here, George Whitfield. So if you grew up kind of on the other side of Christendom and so maybe you grew up Southern Baptist, whatever it might be, right? You are gonna have been heavily influenced by a lot of this guy's work. Now what you may not know is Wesley and Whitfield were actually good friends when they were younger. There's a lot of really interesting history about that. I don't have time to go into all of it today. But as their theology developed, their friendship divided. And so what functionally happened is, you know, Whitfield and Wesley, Whitfield, the second guy that I showed you, his primary message over and over and over again to people is, you need to have a right theology, right ideas matter a lot. And Wesley, as his theology developed, he became, and you'll know this because you're in a Wesleyan church, right? You know, so Nazarene, Methodist, you grew up in any of those movements. His thing is like, it's not just about know the word. You got to do the word. The, The word of God has to be alive and active and vibrant. So Wesley was all about like social justice issues and, and, and economic reform and doing the right thing, heavily active driven. So Whitfield is like, know the right things itinerant speaker go speak to congregations teach good accurate theology make sure they get it down wesley goes into communities and he turns on social justice engines to do things in community and the more they ran down those roads the further they got from each other little did they know they actually really needed each other In fact, at one point, Whitfield even made a public statement against Wesley, like kind of condemning him. Now, public statements back then aren't like public statements today. Today, to make a public statement, all you got to do is be really tired on a Saturday night, open up Twitter, and tell somebody that they're dumb and you don't think they're right. Like, it's super easy to make a public statement today. Back then, to make a public statement, you literally had to, like, think it through, go to the newspaper, buy out a spot. I mean, like, it was a way bigger deal to make a public statement. Whitfield went way out of his way to let the world know Wesley was wrong from his perspective. In fact, there's a famous quote. Again, if you've been to seminary, you're probably going to have heard this. 
Uh, but there's a famous quote where somebody went up to John Wesley and asked him about Whitfield's rebuttal against him. And Wesley famously said, Sir, you may read Whitfield against Wesley, but you shall never read Wesley against Whitfield. Now, by God's grace, as they got older, they ended up reconnecting again. But there definitely was a season where they were apart from each other in tension. Now, let it settle in. These dynamic brilliant leaders have influenced if you go visit a church in our area unless you go to like a catholic church if you go to any of the protestants it's highly likely you're going to walk into a church that was heavily influenced all across the u.s by one of these two guys and what do we see from these powerful prophetic individuals the first thing is this even the best even the best of human leaders are they're human even the best of leaders must take a posture of humility and love. And the only way that Whitfield and Wesley came back together was not by proving that one was right. The only way those two came back together was by a posture of humility. The next thing that we learned, just from those two guys alone, we're going to go back further in time yet again. Uh, going to go to the next slide. Oh, people want to believe, stay here, people want to believe that their knowledge or experiences let them stand above humility and grace. So right along with that, as we continue this idea, people want to believe that their knowledge or experiences let them stand above humility and grace, right? So the way this functionally plays out is, oh, no, no, my experience, the job I have, how I see the world, how I grew up, my income, whatever it might be, my education, gives me the ability, this is how we functionally work, watch the news, read blogs, get on Twitter, don't get on Twitter, right? Whatever it is, it's really easy to see that the whole world wants to believe that their knowledge or experience lets them stand above, not just another person, but stand above humility and grace. Did you know that you can be right in a wrong way? Did you know that you can be right about something in a wrong way? The next thing that I kind of want us to do is I want us to go all the way back as we prepare to read Jonah. So we're looking at prophetic people, strong leaders, right? And I want to read out of the book of Amos. Now, I know this is, why are we going to Amos to study Jonah? We're not even going to read out of Jonah today. We're going to read out of Amos because Jonah is actually mentioned in another part of the Bible. This is Amos 6, 13 and 14. We're just going to read those two verses here in a second. But it's important for us to know this because it paints the picture of how people would have seen Jonah. So now again, let's say that somebody was to, or let's, like did anybody here read the, the biography of Steve Jobs? Anybody here read that? I don't know if anybody did. By the time that book hit the shelves, everybody already had an idea of who Steve Jobs was. When people read the book of Jonah, they already had an idea of who Jonah was. And all these years later, when we pick up a book of the Bible and we read it, we don't have those historical contextual things in mind. We just read it kind of fresh. But it is really important in the book of Jonah to know how people would have generally known of Jonah before the book or even when the book. Um, eventually, the stories of Jonah ultimately end up coming out. Now, that it's probably written down a number of years later. Uh, but in this, what did they know of him? What did they think of him? Well, we find this in Amos. So Amos 6, 13 through 14 says this. It's going to seem obscure, but it's really important. 
You who rejoice in low debar, who say, we, have we not by our own strength captured Carmen for ourselves? Carname for ourselves. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. What's happening is Amos is coming against a prophecy of Jonah. Jonah was a false prophet. He made a prophecy in favor of Jeroboam II. And Amos had to come along and be like, oh, whoa, 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 time out. Jonah, you're wrong. And here's the actual prophecy that was counteracting what Jonah had given. For behold, so Amos says this, for behold, this is what will actually happen in contrast to what Jonah said would happen. For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall oppress you from Labo, Hamath, to the brook of Arabah. That's fun. I always feel like, you know, I'm in the movie Aladdin, Arabah. And what we have in this text is something really important. So a lot of us, as we're reading through the Bible, we skip this stuff, we just move along. This section of Scripture is really important because it paints the picture of how the people then, what they knew of or thought of Jonah. Jonah's the prophet that had to be corrected. Jonah's the prophet that gave a false testimony. Amos, in his book, is correcting some of Jonah's work. Why does this obscure passage matter so much? I want to say this really clearly, again, to create context. This is an opening sermon, so it's a little bit more nerdy today. That's okay. During the raid of Jeroboam II, Jonah prophesied in favor of this king that greatly dishonored God. Amos, the text we just read, had to reverse it and speak out against him. The book begins with Jonah already carrying a reputation for being a very questionable prophet before we even get into the book. The next thing that we see is this. This also gives us a clear picture of when in history these events took place. Jeroboam was an evil Israel king, and the Israelites were in a season of spiritual darkness. So in the story of Jonah, you don't have the Israelites as really good, stand-up, honor-the-Lord people, and the Ninevites as really evil individuals. You have two countries that are not following God. This is a dark season in Israel's history. The next thing that we see is, um, or keep going, yeah, stay here. Evil actions always produce evil actions. The only way out of the cycle is going to be the charitable love of God. So stay up here for a second. Again, this was written down and thought through at some level, and I didn't do all the details of it, before the coronavirus even hit, before any of the racial tension came, before our country was in the current state it is. I already was thinking this through. What had happened is you had the Israelites who had the favor of God on them. And they were using the favor of God to their own advantage, actually to take advantage of others. And the Israelites had gotten to the point where they didn't even honor the Lord, and Jeroboam was an evil king. And so then you have the Ninevites, another country that comes into power, and the Ninevites are also unbelievably cruel and vicious. You can look it up online. There's all kinds of interesting things about the Ninevites. And so you have this cycle of cruelty that's taking place in history. Israelites are taking advantage of others. They're using the favor that God gave them to take advantage of other countries instead of be hope and light to them. 
And then the Ninevites come into power, and they're cruel and harsh even to the Israelites, and you have this circle, right? And doesn't this still happen today? It's like, so I do something evil to you, and my response is going to be to justify evil action back. And then that justifies more evil action back and justifies. So you have this cycle where hate breeds more hate, breeds more hate, breeds more hate, breeds more hate. Until you get to the point where Jonah is incredibly racist and bitter. After year, after year, after year, after year of these countries, hate breeds hate, breeds hate, breeds hate, breeds hate. Back and forth, it just gets darker and deeper all the way down. And all of a sudden, God shows up on the scene and he says to this racist prophet who was a false prophet that we see from Jonah, right? He got stuff wrong. God calls him to go to these people and to do something different, to break the cycle and to offer the charitable love of God to break the cycle. Now, we're going to study this next week, but what was Jonah's response? I'm not, I'm not supposed to cuss in church, but I'm sure it would be as strong as H-E double hockey sticks, no. That's the Christian way you cuss, right? That's the Christian way to do it, right? It would have been that strong, like, oh, heck no. I'm out. I'm not doing this. These people have done such terrible things to my people. They've been awful. There's no way I will not be the one to break this cycle. That's his response. The next thing I would say is this. The real enemy, and God begins to infuse this even in the texts leading into Jonah. So even in Amos, we begin to see this. We begin to see this in even extra-biblical works that the real enemy, even leading into Jonah, is not another human. The real enemy is not another human. It's the evil that poisons their heart. That's the real enemy. And what we want to do today is the same thing that they did, they did back then. We want to make the enemy be a human person, right? So God says, go and be charitable to these people. Break the cycle. Rescue them. Rescue the Ninevites from their real oppressor. Which is a poisoned heart by the enemy. I'm going to invite Josh and Taylor up, and we're going to begin. And I know it's an opening sermon, so there's a lot of history in this. But where is Christ in all this? And this is important. We need to see this. Because long before the incarnation happened in the manger, the incarnation of the nature of God was already happening in the world, leading the way for Jesus to step foot in the dirt on this planet. Where is Christ in all this? Well, first thing I would say is he is asking God to forgive the very people who tortured his people and hung him on the cross. So where is God in this? Where is Jesus? Jesus is breaking the cycle. Dude, if you, if you notice this, like if you pause for a moment and actually notice this, God is always working. Now, humans don't always accept it, and sometimes punishment comes. And even in our current story, 
The love of Jesus is going to be offered to some and some will reject it. But the nature of God, the nature of Christ all the way through is giving people. He is trying to break the cycle of hate and introduce charitable love and demonstrate. And we have a cross hanging on the back wall, right? Demonstrate charitable love. Who will be cycle breakers? And see, this is the thing that we need out of you. This is the thing that, that we need to be doing as a church. This is the thing that I need to be doing as a pastor and trying to model. We need to be cycle breakers of hate. We are bigger. Our God, the charitable love of God is bigger than this. And listen, it does not mean that we are passive, right? So we want to fight for right things, but we want to fight for things in a right way. In a right way. See, some of you, you have been through marriage after marriage after marriage after marriage. Not because you were always wrong, but because you pursued right ideas in a way that just breeded more hate. You see, what Jonah wanted was the people to suffer. What God wanted was the people rescued. What about the people that make you mad today? I mean, honestly, honestly, right now, I mean, just take a pulse on your own heart. When you turn on the news, and you see the people that are acting in a way opposite of what you think is right. Do you want them to suffer or do you want them rescued? say this really clear in a sentence. He, where is Jesus in this? Where is Christ in this? He is breaking the cycle of evil. He is breaking the cycle of evil that births more evil. He is breaking the cycle of evil that births more evil with love. Where is Christ? He is breaking the cycle. He's breaking the cycle of evil. He's breaking the cycle of evil that births more evil over and over and over again. Where is Christ? He is breaking the cycle of evil that births more evil and he's doing it with charitable, relentless, will not give up, always run them down. Jonah, go to those people proclaim hope to them. He's doing this with the same love that took him to the cross. 
what does this mean for us? So what do we do with this? Even today, what do we do with this? The first thing is just because you were on the right spiritual team, Jonah was an Israelite, just because you're on the right spiritual team doesn't mean you have a healthy heart. Just because you're on the right spiritual team doesn't mean you have a healthy heart. The second thing I would say is this, as we get ready to get into this series, remember the real enemy is not another human. It's the enemy who is poisoning their heart. That's the real enemy. One of my favorite stories of this, and I'm gonna be done today, one of my favorite stories of this is, uh, a number of years ago, one of my really good friends, he was a Marine, I mean, just the, like one of the most manly individuals you could imagine, Dave is his name. Um, and uh, Dave even sounds like a Marine name, right? Just stud, he's, I mean, done tours overseas. I mean, manly, manly guy, right? Came to know the Lord by reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity while on a tour in the military. I had met him a number of years later and he was one of my youth sponsors in the youth ministry, Dave. So he would travel on trips with me. He helped me do all kinds of stuff. And he would, when he got back home from the military, this is when I had met him, he had become a police officer in the community that we lived in. So he was a cop, passionate Christian, manly, manly individual, don't wanna fight him. And he told me this, he said, you know, over the years, when I first became a cop, I would see people as the enemy. So like somebody robbing a store or doing something wrong and he'd run them down and tackle them and put them in cuffs. And he's like, I saw them as the enemy. I was harsh and tense, I saw them as the enemy. And as I've gotten along, I realized I need to be just as intense. Like when I walk in a room with somebody that's called 911 and there's an individual trying to rape someone, it's not time to be slow, it's time to be fast and intense. Because of love, it's time to be fast and intense. It's okay to be intense. But he said, I would find myself cuffing people that have done very wrong, terrible things, putting them in the back of my police car, and as I'm driving to the station, the more I got to know the Lord, it would turn where I'd literally be in tears driving my car back, thinking of how they have become so poisoned by the enemy. He said, man, I'm even driving in my car and I'm praying under my breath, God, by your grace, rescue this individual. They're high on drugs. They've just committed a crime. They're in the back of my car, only your grace. And he was doing the right thing, but the driver in his heart had shifted towards compassion and love. He didn't want to get revenge on them. He wanted to see them rescued. And he became the same cop that would later go into the prisons and do Bible studies with them. He was the same cop that would go in and, and want to talk with them and encourage them and help them work through issues. He's the same cop that would meet with them, even some of these people, especially he fell really in love with helping uh, teenagers that had done crimes, like criminal teenage people. And so when they come back out, he started mentoring all these young people that had done. He could be the cop that would arrest them, lead them to the Lord, and then mentor them when they came out because he wanted them rescued he could see that the real evil was not the human it was the heart that was poisoned now I can tell you one of the individuals that he mentored became a pastor 
Can you imagine that? You know who loses in that situation? The devil does. And so as we begin this series, and we're going to study through Jonah, literally working through it and exegetical all the way through the book, I want you to learn, I want you to grow, I want you to know your Bible as we work our way through this. I want you to see the beginning of this book as it really is, which is a prophet who's on the right team with a poisoned heart. And a whole nation who's on the wrong team with a poisoned heart. And a God who wants to heal all of their hearts. That's where Jonah